The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining me today. I have a question for you, but let's pray first. Lord, I pray that today as I share the message you've put on my heart, that you will open the eyes of every person listening 
that they will be moved with compassion by you, Jesus. Would you come quickening our hearts and giving to us a spirit of supplication and prayer? Will you take away the casualness of our hearts? Will you place in us a passion for you, Jesus, for your people, and for the lost? I pray in your holy name. Amen. My question to you today is, do you believe in the existence of God? Do you believe in the existence of God? And if you answer that question, yes, then the follow-up question would be, do you believe that you have treated God as you should have treated him? Do you believe that you have loved him as he deserved? Do you believe that you have fulfilled his requirements to the fullest of your ability? Do you believe that you have been earnest in prayer and supplication? Have you given yourself utterly, totally, and completely into the hand of Jesus Christ? Those are my questions for you today. Now, if you answer all of those questions, yes, I have done that. Yes, I have a passion for Jesus Christ. Yes, I pray constantly. Yes, I seek the salvation of the lost and the dying. Yes, I seek the face of Jesus in every every possible way then praise God for you. But I know most of you will answer this question, no, you have not done all that I have asked you. And therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. There is a difference between what you say you believe and what you do. And so today it is necessary for us now to back away from these questions. We'll come back to them at the close of the broadcast. But there are some things I need to share with you first. I want you to see clearly the wrath of God. In Romans, the first chapter, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. If you have not done all that I just ask you about, then you are suppressing the truth of who Jesus is in the world. And you are acting wickedly. It's been made very plain to us, and I will show you this today in the broadcast. It has been made very plain to us who Jesus Christ is. Verse 21, Romans 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, although they agreed that God exists, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And that is what is happening in America today especially the young people, are finding their solace 
in the woods, in the mountains, outside. They're finding their solace in becoming Wiccans, witches and warlocks. Many scorned me when I said, do not let your children read Harry Potter. But I was very serious, and now we are reaping the harvest of little Harry Potters growing up. And as millennials, they have given themselves to yoga, which is witchcraft. They have given themselves to wicked meditation. They have given themselves to Eastern philosophy. And many others have given themselves to an evening of playing cards and smoking cigars. Or they've given themselves to going to the strip clubs or the gambling houses. I know of churches who have rented buses to take their people to the gambling house. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. So this repression of who God is and this disagreement between my behavior and who God is results in sexual impurity, the degrading of their bodies one with another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things. That is, they gave value to their investments. They gave value. And some of you are doing this. You are giving your value to your money, to your new house. Some of you salve your pain by ordering all kinds of goods online. Some, particularly the elderly, their social life is looking for the Amazon truck to deliver their packages. And they're buying things that they don't need. They're buying to satisfy the evil of their heart that has turned away from the living God of heaven. And they are, by the law of God, condemned. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over. God will give a person over to the lust of their heart. If they say, oh yes, I believe God lives. I believe God's real. I believe Jesus was real. But then not obey his word. Continue to believe in the sinning Christian. Then the scriptures say the result of that is that God will give you over to the shameful lust of your heart. Even the women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones, and the men, the same way, abandon natural relations with women and inflamed with lust for one another. Verse 28, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So in other words, if you don't live according to what you have been taught and what you have said you believed, God will give you over to every kind of unclean sin and every kind of unclean lust. And you will begin to worship the football, the professional games. You will begin to worship and bow down at the altar of national sports. Do you see what I'm saying to you? If you do not live according to what you know in Jesus, God will give you over to wickedness. They are full of envy, 
Murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at what point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness, and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, There will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble, distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Then if we go to chapter 3 of Romans... He says, Jew and Gentiles alike are all under sin. There is no righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. No one can keep the law. Not in an unconverted state without the power of the Holy Spirit writing the law on your heart. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Verse 23, this is chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are made righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So again, I ask you the question, do you believe in the existence of God? Do you believe that you have treated God as he should have been treated? Do you believe that you have loved God as he deserved to be loved? Is there a distance between your heart and God's heart? Have you have you walked in arrogance before God? 
Have you known what it was you were supposed to do and simply refused to do it? Then you are condemned by the law and you are judged by the law. And if there is not a dramatic change in your life, you will be cast into hell. And there will be no sin allowed in heaven. A person must be transformed here on earth. He will not be transformed over there. Yes, we will receive a new body in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, the Apostle Paul says, but our character will be the same character as it is here and now. Jesus cannot repent for you. Jesus cannot believe for you. Jesus cannot submit for you. Those are actions that you must take if you are going to escape the condemnation of the law. Again, to repent does not mean just to turn from wicked actions. It means to turn toward God. It means literally a new beginning by the power of the Holy Spirit. But first, you must admit your guilt. That's why I ask you, have you believed that Jesus existed? Have you believed that God is real? Have you violated his commands? Have you done what ought not to have been done? Have you sinned against him? Have you repented of that sin? Have you renounced it and turned from it and have the victory over it? Jesus cannot repent for you. This is something you must do. He has granted repentance to all men. It's possible for every man and every woman, every boy and every girl to repent. It is a decision we must make. Will we repent? Will we believe? Will we submit? These are all steps we must take. Now, the difficulty is that many today, some of you even who are listening to this broadcast, believe that you're saved. But at the same time, you answer, no, I have not done as I ought to have done. And you would say, the grace of God covers me. No, it does not. Nowhere in Scripture is it taught that grace is a covering for our sin. Instead, we're taught that grace is what enables us to not sin. Specifically, look in the book of Titus, second chapter. Grace teaches us not to sin, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, grace enables us to walk clean before God. Many of you are caught in a very difficult place because you know you have not prayed as you ought to. You know you have spent your time on things of the flesh, not on things of heaven. You know you have no burden for the lost. You know you have no burden for the salvation of men and women. Your sole concern is for your own life, for your family. And yet you say, I'm saved. What are you saved from? You're not saved from sin. Because we enter into the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God has one primary focus. To have us engage with the Holy Spirit for the salvation of the lost and the dying. That is the work 
to be a fisher of men. And if you are not a fisher of men, you are not saved. You are still walking in your own world, in your own beliefs, in the lust of your own heart. So now that brings us to a another question. And that question is, what are the claims of Jesus Christ? Who does he claim to be? If we are going to repent to him, <clears throat> if we are going to believe in him, Who is he? Who did he claim to be? Well, first and foremost, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Christ. The word Christ is, it means Messiah. They mean the same thing. the Son of God, the only begotten of God. Now, that doesn't mean that he was born in the human sense by God. It means he is the only one of his kind. There is not another Savior born into the world. There is not another God born into the world. He is the only, he is the only God who has been born of flesh. Matthew 3.17, at Jesus' baptism, he was called the beloved Son of God. 17.5, Matthew 17.5, at the transfiguration, again, God credited him with being his son. Matthew 16, Peter confessed Jesus as God. John 4, 25, 26, Jesus acknowledged to the Samaritan woman that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ. Now, let's be very clear. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus cannot be a prophet only. Jesus cannot claim to be a good man. He cannot claim to be a great teacher unless he is who he says he is. And he says he is God. If you find a man coming to you and saying, I am God, you will probably quickly identify him as a lunatic. If you come to my house and my garage door is open and you see me with a hammer and nails and I'm hammering together a crude ladder and you say to me, Pastor, what are you doing? And I say to you, I am, I am building a ladder to climb to the moon. You will know that it's time to take me to the insane asylum. For no man can hammer together a ladder and climb to the moon. Well, no man can claim to be God unless he is God or he is insane. And Jesus said, don't believe my words simply because I say them. Believe on the basis of the miracles that I'm doing. What miracles was he doing? He was healing the leper. No one had ever heard of that. He was raising the dead. He was doing incredible miracles. The wine at the wedding feast at Cana was the first great sign. I'm going to come back to this, I am. But that's what Jesus said he was. 
He said he came to save mankind from sin. First John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that no man should continue to walk in sin. He said he was the supreme authority, that he was the judge of every man and every woman, that in his hands he held the power, the keys of life and death, that he can send you to hell or he can take you to heaven. It is his decision regarding your life. He is the supreme authority. Jesus received worship while he was on this earth. People bowed down and worshipped him, and he received it gladly. Now, we have a whole series of what we call the I Am sayings in the book of John. I Am is the verb to be, past, present, and future. Jesus said he was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That was not his beginning and end, it was man's beginning and end. He claimed to be the creator God of heaven and earth. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, John 14, 6. He is summarizing and subsuming everything he has said about himself. Do you remember when Moses was at that burning bush in the desert. Who should I say you are? Who should I tell the tell them I am the I am? It was Jesus in that burning bush. And I'm going to show you in a moment, it was Jesus. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was Jesus who created things in the very beginning. It was Jesus at Mount Sinai. There's not one God in the Old Testament and another God in the New Testament. It's all Jesus. It was Jesus who wrestled with Jacob in the dark of the night. He said in John 4, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. He said, I am the bread of life. In other words, if you are going to be sustained, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's speaking spiritually. He's not speaking of cannibalism. He's saying that the thing that should sustain you is not the television, not the sports, not the money, not the lust of the flesh or the pride of life or the pride of the eyes. He's saying what sustains you is eating my body and drinking my blood. He said in John 8, I am the truth. Or John 9, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the good shepherd. John 10, I am the son of God. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John 13, I am the way. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You cannot reach the Father by Allah. You cannot reach the Father... Through Buddha. You cannot reach God through the intellect or through mysticism. You can only reach God, the Father, through the person, the man, the God. 
Jesus Christ the Lord. The claims of Jesus extend into three places prominently all through the New Testament, but prominently in three places. John, the first chapter. The Apostle John writes in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And by that he means the creativity behind the entire creation, the planner of creation, the planner of your salvation, knowing who you are. God himself, the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. Co-equal, co-eternal. Through him all things were made, verse 3. That includes you, and that includes the world. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came and dwelled among us. Now in the book of Colossians, the first chapter, verse 15, he is the image or the exact representation. When you look at Jesus, you see the Father. And remember, Jesus said that when He was asked, would you show us the Father? And Jesus answered, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the exact representation or image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body and the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is, in this God-man, Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The problem is many of you today have not made that final decision. You have not loved him as you ought to have. You have been filled with the love of this world and the things of this world, and you have no conviction in your heart. You have no anxiousness in your spirit to get right with God because you don't yet understand he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he holds your life in his hands. And he can quickly let go of you and give you over to total wickedness or give you over to death. Your life is in the hands of Jesus Christ right now. So all casualness has to be put away. That's why I opened this broadcast by asking you the question, do you believe God exists? And if you answered that question, yes, then you must answer, have I loved him as I ought to have loved him? 
Have I obeyed him as I am called to obey him? Have I surrendered my life into his hands? For it belongs to him. Have I given myself utterly and completely into his power? Have I turned my life over to Jesus? Have I Have I believed in him? Jesus can't believe for you. He can't repent for you. He can't submit for you. These are things that you must choose in the humbling of your heart. Some of you have said, I have no passion for the lost. I know why. Because you don't see their eventual end. You don't see the fire of hell. You don't see the anguish and the pain for eternity that they'll suffer. You've become unconscious. And you, in fact, may also still be in rebellion against the Lord God of heaven, refusing to submit. Oh, in some areas, okay, I'll submit. But then I have these other areas over here that I reserve for myself. I reserve for myself the right to watch whatever I want to watch, to go to whatever movies I want to go to, to cheat if it prospers me, to lie, to look at pornography, to commit fornication, to be shacked up with somebody you're not married to. I reserve the right to do what I think is right. Oh, have you obeyed Jesus as you ought? Have you loved him as you ought to? Have you submitted to him as you are called to do? Have you given up your life? Have you, as it says over here, I'll turn to it quickly. Here in the book of Matthew. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I could broaden that. You cannot serve both God and the world. Enter through the narrow gate, that is, enter through the suffering gate. Matthew 7, verse 13. You're going to suffer in the world if you follow Jesus. People are going to say you're a fanatic. You're going to miss out on the parties. You're not going to go where other people go. You're not going to talk the way other people talk. You are going to be given into the hand of Jesus, and you will be made holy and righteous. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. And be very honest, most churches in America are built on the Broadway not the narrow way. But small, but groaning is the gate and and suffering the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Why do only a few find it? Many believe that God exists. Many believe that Jesus is the Savior of mankind. But what do you believe Jesus saves you from? If you don't believe that Jesus saves you from your sin, what do you believe that Jesus saves you from? Does that make sense to you? Do you understand? If Jesus does not save you from your sin, you cannot be saved because you are not saved. You are lost. Regardless of your profession of faith in Jesus, regardless of your saying, oh, I know God exists and I know Jesus is there and he's real and I love him and I trust him. Do you? Do your actions reveal that love and that trust? Have you given up the world? Or do you fill your heart with the wickedness of this world and enjoy it? Have you you honestly come to terms with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? 
If you're lukewarm, if you're not on fire for Jesus Christ, if you're just going through the motions of being a Christian, you are in the gravest of danger. Jesus said he will spit you out of his mouth, but in Paul's writing, he says he will give you over to the lust of your heart. He will give you to the darkness you are seeking, and you will slowly withdraw. Not from religion. Oh, you'll be very active in religion. But from Jesus, the God-man who died for your salvation. This is the issue. Some people who call themselves Christians love to drink, love to go to the parties, love to be around celebrities. They worship successful people. What they want more than anything else in the world is to be considered somebody. They're about to be given over. And when they're given over, it's very painful and very dark. He says only a few people are going to find that place. So who is Jesus Christ? He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the majesty of heaven. Are you still at war with Jesus? Are you still believing that you can walk the way you desire to walk? And you're good to go? Are you a religionist? Keeping the religious laws of your organization. But your heart is not filled with passion for Jesus. And you don't share with anybody the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think I have time to share this quickly. In the Welsh Revival, there were four principles. I want to share these with you quickly. These were recorded by Evan Roberts. Number one, if you want Jesus, you must confess every known sin. In public, if the sin is public, in private, if no one else knows about it. But it must be made to Jesus. Number two, put aside every doubtful habit. If you have a check in your spirit that says, don't go that way, then cut it off and don't go that way. Obey the Holy Spirit promptly. Obey the Holy Spirit promptly. Instant obedience. And number four, confess your belief in Jesus Christ in public. Become a bold and salty witness to others. Don't be a silent follower of Jesus. Even if that means you will lose your job or you will be castigated or cursed. Be a bold public witness that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You've heard the law today. And you know that a man or woman who is not forgiven, has not repented, is under the law. 
You can claim to be a follower of Jesus, but if you have not repented and left that sin, you are still under the law. All who sin are under the law and will be condemned in the judgment day under the law. Secondly, you have heard the claims that Jesus made and the disciples made about who he was. He is certainly worthy of your honor and praise and your devotion and your love. And so we end with the same question we started with. Do you believe that Jesus is real? Do you believe that God exists? And if you answer yes, have you loved him as you ought to have loved him? Have you obeyed him as you ought to have obeyed him? Are you clean before him by his precious spilled blood? Or are you still a child of the devil pretending to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Only you can answer those questions. Jesus cannot repent for you. Jesus cannot believe for you. And Jesus cannot submit to you, for you, to him. Those three things you must do on your own under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. I urge you, take time now to consider these questions. Listen again to the broadcast. Go over these scriptures and make an honest decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? Yesterday, I shared with all of you that finances were very, very slim this month. We had to use some of February's radio money to finish paying off January's radio bill, so we're a little behind. And immediately, some of you began to give online. Thank you. Thank you. We're still far short. We need help to cover this February radio bill. And so I ask, would you listen to the Holy Spirit? And if he prompts you to give, would you do so? And would you give the amount he prompts you to give? Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and up in the upper right-hand corner, you can click that button and it will take you to a place where you can give online. Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I haven't heard from some of you for quite some time. I'm eager to hear how you're doing in Jesus. Thank you for the wonderful notes and letters that some of you have sent. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'd love to meet you. I pray soon I'll be able to. I love you. We'll talk soon. <laughs> 